Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Martin Luther said, Next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The Holy Ghost himself honors her as an instrument for his proper work when, in his holy scriptures, he asserts that through her, his gifts were instilled in the prophets. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. Why should Lutherans sing? How do Martin Luther's hymns both equip and encourage God's people? How are hymns weapons against Satan? Joining us today to discuss Lutheran hymnody in the day-to-day lives of God's people is Mr. Tyler Simpson. Mr. Simpson teaches Paideia B for Wittenberg Academy. Tyler, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin with a brief overview of Lutheran hymnody from the Reformation era. The church has a rich history of singing. All the way back to the Old Testament and working forward, singing permeates the life of the church. Why was Lutheran hymnody so hated by the Roman Catholic leaders. And perhaps at this point, I should clarify that the title of our episode today, Singing Their Way to Hell, came from the mouths of Roman Catholic leaders during the time of the Reformation in response to this explosion of Lutheran hymnody. So why was Lutheran hymnody so hated by the Roman Catholic leaders, so much so that it is said that the Lutherans were singing their way to hell. Well, it's really no secret that, of course, Martin Luther was himself not well-liked by the Roman Catholic leaders. When we talk in my Paideia B class all about heresy and the history of the church, and one of the heretics that we often leave, that we leave out is Martin Luther, because, of course, the Catholic Church considers him to be one of the arch heretics, similar to to Arius. And so Luther is considered this arch heretic to the church. And when he is writing hymns that are spreading the Catholic church considered heresy, spreading that heresy far and wide, not only just in Germany, the church reacted pretty strongly against this. So their, their response then was that if these Lutherans are singing heresy left and right, they're singing their way straight to hell because it is through their songs that they are learning their faith and thereby learning their heresy. You know, I never thought about the fact, I guess, having grown up Lutheran, that Luther was one of the heretics. You know, you think of the Arian heresy and you think of the Marcian heresy and you you, you think of all these heresy. You don't think of, of Luther as being a heretic, but absolutely to the Roman Catholics, that's absolutely what he was. And so given that context, you could absolutely see why they would be so concerned with this just doctrinally packed hymnody that Luther was writing. And I'm excited to get into that because we still sing these hymns and our confessions still call the Pope the Antichrist. So I guess we're still singing our way to hell. (laughs) 
to a certain extent, you know, in the eyes of the Catholic Church, right? At least in the eyes of the Catholic Church, exactly. So, thinking about this music, thinking about these hymns that Luther was writing, and and certainly the scope of the hymns that he wrote or hymns that were written during the Reformation extend beyond what we have in our hymnal, the hymnal that we use now, Lutheran Service Book. We don't have all of Luther's hymns in Lutheran Service Book. One of my favorites, Oh Lord, Look Down from Heaven, Behold, didn't make it into Lutheran Service Book. And I understand, I get it. You can't put everything in there. But thinking about this wave of hymnody that came out of the Reformation and that we have such rich doctrine, not just from Luther, but from all of the Reformation, that there was something different and unique about Lutheran hymns that you couldn't say about the hymns being sung by the Roman Catholics. Can you give us any insight into what made Lutheran hymnody unique at this time that set it apart, that upset everyone? So the church has always been singing, of course. We have the Psalms and discussions of this in the Bible of the singing church. However, at this time within the the Roman church, not only their hymns, but also their liturgy is not in the vernacular. It's in Latin, which most of these illiterate peasants wouldn't understand. So one of the, the major things that Luther does is he brings the hymns into the vernacular so that the illiterate peasant can learn the faith. So whereas in the past, while the singing was going on during the service, it wasn't the congregation doing the singing. It would it would be the choir, or it would be the priest, or it would be whoever is leading the singing, but the congregation wouldn't be singing themselves, and they most of the time wouldn't understand what was being sung because it's not in the vernacular. And so Luther brings not only the vernacular language in, he brings in the congregational singing. And so this is what really divides the Roman church from early Lutheranism, where the congregation is doing the singing, and they're the ones singing these, this praise to God, whereas the, the Catholic Church didn't necessarily have that. Was it Luther who had said, he who sings prays twice? Yes. And so in giving the congregation these hymns to sing, he was equipping them to speak the faith, right? And to sing the faith and to have those words be your own rather than just these words that are, are spoken from afar. You know, I'm as, as we're sitting here, I'm kind of, you know, motioning as though <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, a chancel up there, you know, that, that the, the people are, are out here in the nave and, you know, there's a great chasm between them. And, you know, to a certain extent with that language barrier, there was a great chasm between the people and the understanding of, of their faith because of the lack of, of understanding. So these, these hymns that Luther wrote and that the other reformers wrote, they put the words into the mouths of the people and they weren't flowery like some of the other hymnody. So in function, there was certainly a distinction between 
the Lutheran hymnody and the Roman hymnody. But also there was a distinction in the form. Tell us a little bit about that. So Luther believed, of course, with these peasants who are not well-trained in Greek or Latin or biblical languages, he wants to spread the, the good news of the gospel and he wants to spread the doctrine of this new burgeoning Lutheran church to the mass of the peasants. And so for him, these seemingly uneducated peasants he goes at them in a way which they can then understand it, where they couldn't before in the Latin. And so he uses very simple language. So like the ancient Hebrew poets that he had studied, Luther uses very few adjectives in his writing, but he, he instead forms brief lines that consist almost entirely of verbs and nouns, so that the language is simple. It's not very ornate. It can be understood by anyone from a child all the way up to 104, whether they've trained in Latin or whether they speak peasant German. Uh, they can understand what is being taught to them. And that's somewhat the, the power of Lutheran hymns is that it spreads this gospel message and spreads this doctrine of the church far and wide because the, the uneducated peasant and the child can learn it as well. And while Luther certainly was well equipping the peasant and the child, the prince was also benefiting. I mean, this, this hymnody was for everyone. So there is a fascinating story behind Luther's first hymn. And a lot of people don't necessarily know this story about Luther's first hymn, or even know what Luther's first hymn was. Can you tell us that story? So Luther's first venture into hymn writing or songwriting is inspired by the story of two Augustinian friars from Antwerp, um, Hendrik Vos and Johann van den Eschen, who were burned alive in Brussels for their supposed heresy. So these two Augustinian friars were originally from the monastery in Luther's hometown of Eisleben, and the monks had transferred to Antwerp where they continued to spread their heretical and under the Edict of Worms, illegal Lutheran doctrines. And so the execution of Vos and von den Eschen on July 1st, 1523, marked the first blood that was shed um, for the cause of this new Reformation. And it deeply affected Luther, um, who wrote in a letter to uh, the Christians of the Netherlands that uh, he thought that he himself would be the first one to be martyred for the Holy Gospel in this Reformation movement, he writes that he wasn't worthy of it. Instead, he writes this ballad in honor and in memory of uh, Vos and von den Eschen. So in composing this ballad, Luther not only echoed his grief as portrayed in his comments in the letter, but he also articulated his understanding of what the Reformation meant and his firm belief that God's work was at hand also in Brussels, even as these first two were martyred. So Luther's first news ballad is considerably indebted to and informed by the message of the Psalms, as many of his early hymns are as well. And this one in particular is informed by Psalm 98. So Psalm 98 begins, O sing unto the Lord a new song. For as the psalmist writes, God has done marvelous things. He has made known his victory and revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. And so in response to the psalmist's admonition to sing a new song, Luther begins his ballad 
a new song here shall be begun of what our God himself hath done. So Luther is trying to explain to whoever will listen that the terrible events in Brussels were actually the work of God, who by the two boys, martyrs youthful, he showed the wonders of his hands, whom he with favor truthful so richly hath adorned. So for Luther, the death of these two martyrs was proof that his cause was right, as the devil was now killing his followers to stop the spread of his gospel message. And Luther also explained how God would make known his victory and reveal his vindication in the sight of the nations. In verse 10 of the ballad, Luther writes, Leave off their ashes never will, into all the lands they scatter, with shame the foe they spatter. As the ashes of those in Bound in Eschen were flung to the heedless winds, and their story is told abroad through Luther's ballad, the world will know the truth about their martyrdom and the work God has done and is still doing in the Reformation. And so Luther finishes the verse, When dead, he them in every land, in tongues of every people, must hear go gladly singing. So Luther believes that everyone in every land should hear the story of the two martyrs in the Netherlands, because while the Pope thinks he extinguished the heresy in Brussels, Luther sees God's might at work against the evils of the church and believes that God has vindicated his work thus far in the Reformation. I would encourage our listeners to take a look at this ballad, A New Song Here Shall Be Begun, of What Our God Himself Hath Done. Part of this ballad made it into the Lutheran hymnal. We don't see it in Lutheran service book, but just one stanza. Could you read that stanza that we find in the Reformation section of TLH? Yeah, so they have taken uh, Luther's first ballad as 20-some stanzas long, and they've given us in this hymn just a portion of it. And so the the hymn is called Flung to the Heedless Winds. Um, It's TLH number 259. Flung to the heedless winds or on the waters cast, the martyr's ashes watched shall gathered be at last. And from that scattered dust around us and abroad shall spring a plenteous seed of witnesses for God. The Father hath received their latest living breath, and vain is Satan's boast of victory in their death. Still, still, though dead, they speak, and trumpet-tongued proclaim to many awakening land the one availing name. This hymn This stanza from this ballad certainly serves to encourage and bolster the saints in the church militant for all time. But knowing the context of that hymn, number 259 in TLH, really allows us to have a new appreciation for those words, thinking about these these two monks who were martyred for the sake of the gospel. Luther didn't stop there, though. As this ballad spread far and wide, and as the news of these martyrs spread far and wide, Luther saw how powerful hymnody can be in terms of getting a message across, in terms of spreading solid doctrine and teaching solid doctrine. So for Luther, what was the function of hymnody? So Luther wrote in a preface um, to a, a new hymnal in 1545, 
and that all those who believed earnestly that God had cheered our hearts and minds through his dear son cannot keep quiet about it. And he wrote that we should instead gladly and willingly sing and speak about it so that others may come and hear it. Thus for Luther, the, the rhetorical and the evangelical function of hymnody was to convey a distinctly Lutheran interpretation of the word of God for the laity to use not only in their worship on Sunday, but also in their daily lives outside of the church. His first ballad, A New Song Here Shall Be Begun, was not necessarily a, a church hymn. They didn't sing it in church. It was sung on the, the corner of the street where the, the town crier would sit there and, and sing it out for people to hear the news, but it wasn't sung in churches. And so that's a distinctly Lutheran thing as well, where hymnody is not just something you do in church, but it's also something you can do out in the streets and you can do at home as well. And so Luther called the combination of music with the word a singing sermon which the laity would be able to use to preach to one another, even if they were not in church. And Luther's position on the purpose of hymns had not changed much over the years, as he had previously written in the preface of another hymnal in 1524, that he compiled hymns in order that the Holy Gospel, which now by the grace of God has risen anew, may be noised and spread abroad. And so his, his big distinction here again is that Hymnody and in your faith is not just something you do when you're in church, but it's something that it goes throughout your entire life, inside church, outside church. And so one of the big distinctions of Lutheran hymnody is that it's not just written specifically for church use, but it's also used as a basically a guard and a shield for the individual when they go back out into the the world. Part of this church militant, part of their armor against the devil are, are these songs that are being written by Luther and um, his, uh, his associates. One of their main goals is to be uh, a part of this battle against Satan and the world and our sinful nature. I love the imagery of that, that you think about Ephesians 6 and the sword of the spirit being the word of God. And Luther was very intentional about, like we just talked about, the fact that these hymns used very simple language to convey very solid doctrine, to convey the truth. And these hymns were part of the arsenal of the church. That's a fantastic picture that we should really take to heart in terms of the importance, not just of, of hymnody, but of good hymnody, that it's really not beneficial to God's people to sing fluffy songs. You know, you wouldn't go to battle against swords and arrows with cotton balls, right? <laughs> you know, you you need to go to battle with armor that will protect you from what is being slung at you. And cotton balls aren't going to cut it. The conception of, of the hymns as containing and conveying the word of God was important to the Lutheran understanding and the use of hymnody in many contexts. So early hymn printings boasted that their contents were conformed to the pure word of God or were drawn from Holy Scripture. And Lutherans continued to identify the hymns as among the most important means by which the gospel 
had been proclaimed in the wake of Luther's Reformation, and the identification of the hymns with the word meant that the doctrinal content of the hymns were, was regarded as trustworthy. In a letter to his friend George Palatin, Luther wrote that he wished to make German psalms for the people so that the word of God, even by means of song, may live among the people. Later in the letter, Luther asked for Splatten's help in writing new German hymns, but says that Splatten should avoid newfangled, fancied words and use expressions simple and common enough for the people to understand, yet pure and fitting. It's clear that Luther wanted hymns that were simple enough that the laity could understand them, be brought to faith by them, and teach others with them. Though Luther called for German hymns to be written in simple, direct language, the theology of the hymns was not supposed to be a compromised or minimal simplification. Most of Luther's earliest hymns were based on psalms, because as he had written to Splatten, he wanted German psalms for the people. In his first full year of writing hymns, 1523 to 1524, he wrote six hymns based on the psalms. Even Luther's most famous hymn, Ein Festeberg, which has been called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation, is a paraphrase of the 46th Psalm. What is interesting about Ein Festeberg is that while it is a paraphrase of Psalm 46, it contains very little of the language of the original psalm, with the exception of the images of refuge and fortress. Luther appears to have taken the message of the psalm and applied it to late medieval Germany with images of fortresses, princes, armor, and weapons that would have been more familiar to a 16th century peasant. Luther begins his hymn by establishing God as the peasant's castle strong and a good weapon against the danger of the old knavish foe, whose horrid policy is force and cunning sly. Luther's second stanza describes that "'Tis all in vain do what we can, our strength is soon dejected." The peasant is unable to help himself to win salvation. But God himself elected Christ to fight for us, so he must win the battle. The third stanza of the hymn further elaborates on the terror of the Christian in the world, with devils swarming all gaping to devour us, but assures the Christian that though the world's prince is accursed, may rage his worst, no hurt brings about, because Christ can overturn him. Luther's terminology should inspire both fear and faith in the 16th century German peasant, but the fourth stanza gives the believer comfort, as Christ is with us at our right hand with the gifts of his spirit, and though the world may take our life, wealth, name, child, and wife, he is still assured that the kingdom ours remaineth. Luther uses the spirit of Psalm 46 in Am Festeberg, to calm the conscience of the people so that they can live in the world rather than try to meet the overwhelming requirements of the medieval church to attain their salvation. Luther's theology of salvation by grace through faith alone stood in stark contrast to the medieval church's doctrine of the merit of good works. Whereas the church believed the peasant had to do good works in order, in order to be saved, Luther's hymns show the peasant that he or she cannot do anything to save him or herself and should not worry about having to buy indulgences as long as they have faith. By using plain language and medieval imagery, Luther is better able to teach his doctrines to the laity and the robust melody and rhythmic vitality ensure that the text becomes memorable. So it's kind of interesting because the peasants had been taught that the church was your salvation to a certain extent rather than God being their salvation, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And there was even a hymn that Luther wrote that was rewritten with different words 
that reflected that very idea. So this distinction in the the hymns, the fact that Luther was using scripture, was was bringing scripture to the people, putting it in their mouths, and they were singing scripture using this imagery that was very familiar to them. The fact that he was focusing them on Jesus, on salvation by grace through faith, instead of the current teaching that you were indebted to the church and the church would save you and the Pope would save you and your works would save you. It's interesting because Lord, keep us steadfast in your word was actually rewritten by the Roman Catholics to reflect this doctrinal distinction. Yeah. So Roman Catholics found Lutheran hymns to be an ever-present threat to their congregations. And they tried to use their own hymns uh, to counter the spread of Lutheran hymnody. And so that's uh, that's another testament to the power of Lutheran hymnody that Catholics then started writing their own new hymns in order to do the same thing, but with their doctrine and their message. But one of these hymn writers, a man by the name of Johann Leisentreit, who was very active in the 16th century, he complained about Luther in his hymns. And he said, how these slanderous, abusive, and shameless little ditties have spread everywhere in so few years, how they have become so familiar and very well known, how they have come to be nearly as many of them as there are people in these lands. It is not easy for me to say, nor for one who has not experienced it to believe or imagine. Um, And so Lysentreat was concerned about the cancerous spread and influence of Lutheran vernacular singing, uh, which we attributed to the poverty of Catholic songs, and Luther also identified that as a, an issue within the church. And he promised, this is Lysentreet, promised his superiors that his own collection of hymns would displace Lutheran songs upon its publication in 1567. Lysentreet formed his hymnal not by drawing upon the existing repertoire of medieval song, but by writing new hymns and adapting Lutheran ones. Um, of the 249 hymns in Lysentreit's hymnal, nearly a third were adopted from previously published Lutheran hymns, while only 18 were pre-Reformation vernacular songs. His adoption of Lutheran hymns meant that the hymnal was not beyond suspicion of association with Luther's cause. It was probably for this reason that Lysentreit fell under the suspicion of the Catholic clergy, who sent a letter inquiring whether he was truly Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and was and was saved from condemnation only by the intervention of Pope Pius V. His hymn, Uphold Us, Lord, by Thy Church, is an adaption of Luther's own Uphold Us, Lord, by Thy Word. Lord, keep us steadfast in Thy Word. First published in the 1543 edition of uh, Josef Klug's Wittenberger Gesangbuch, Wittenberg Songbook, and later in uh, the Latin Baps 1545 hymnbook, Luther's didactic hymn, Lord, keep us steadfast in Thy Word, warns the singer against the dangers of the two most powerful enemies of Lutheranism in the 16th century, the Pope and the Turk. In 1541, Europe was under attack by Islamic Turks, led by uh, Sultan Suleiman II, the Magnificent. King Ferdinand of Austria, later Holy Roman Emperor, was defeated by the Turks at Budapest in August 1541. In the summer of 1542, facing a common Habsburg enemy, King Francis I of France renewed the Franco-Ottoman alliance against the Holy Roman Empire. Luther's response to these ominous events, which threatened the presence and safety of Christendom in Germany, was, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word. 
which he labeled a Kinterlied, or a children's song. Why Luther would cast such terrifying events in the form of a children's song at first appears strange, but Luther often stressed that the prayers of children were the best defense against the Turks, and he recognized that such songs were the best and most direct way to communicate with the common German people at home. While both Luther and Leisentreit saw the Turk as a common threat to Christendom, in his adaption, Leisentreit removed all references to the Pope and replaced them with warnings against heretics. So Luther's original version said, Uphold us, Lord, by thy word, and cease the murder by Papists and Turks who would throw thy son, Jesus Christ, from thy throne. Lysentrite, his adaption said, Uphold us, Lord, by thy church. Shield us from all sectarian teaching. Thy church is one indivisible. Like thy robe without seam, it will be known. That's a pretty stark distinction. I, I mean, that changes the whole theology of that song. It's kind of funny looking at it. Okay, so Luther wrote a children's song to sing against the two principal enemies of Christ and his holy church, the Pope and the Turk. Whereas Lysentrite, his was a children's song to sing against the two traditional enemies of the holy universal Christian church, the heretic and the Turk. So was the heretic the Pope? <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, it's just kind of funny looking at those side by side, but this goes to show, I mean, this is a confession, like you said, of the power and importance of hymnody and that we are careful about the words because just a few changes in the wording completely changes the doctrine that is being confessed in in these hymns. Well, and Luther is so much more explicit in telling the singer and the listener exactly who the enemy is. The The enemy is the Pope and the Turk, whereas Lysentreat is more, I mean, he gives them the Turk, but he also says the heretic. He means Luther, probably most specifically, right? but within his stanza there, uphold us, Lord, by thy church, shield us from all sectarian teaching. Well, what does that mean? Right, like right. Who, who defines sectarian teaching? Whereas Luther says, "Your enemy is the Pope, and your enemy is the Turk." Listen to the Word of God. There you go. Right, right. The clear threat here is fundamentally that they want to throw out Jesus, and if you throw out Jesus, <laughs> are you really a Christian anymore? Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, looking at. 655 in Lutheran service book. This is Lord, keep us steadfast in your word as we have it now. So that stanza that we just read from the original translation, the wording that we have now is Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. There's still a clear confession there it doesn't speak directly against the Pope and the Turk, but again, knowing the context in which these hymns were written, we know that, you know, curb those who buy deceit or sword, that speaks not only of the Pope and the Turk, but it also speaks of anyone else who would try to 
influence the church with false doctrine or try to kill her members. So the words of the hymns are simple, they're direct, they mean something, they communicate solid doctrine. And when we think of Luther's hymns, we most likely think first of A Mighty Fortress or one of his other hymns. But Luther's catechism hymns are, in my estimation, perhaps one of the most overlooked treasures he gave the church in terms of hymnody. Let's walk through Luther's catechism hymns. Our listeners might not be familiar with all of them, or they might be familiar with them, but not realize that Luther specifically wrote that hymn to teach one of the six chief parts of the catechism. So let's start. Uh, first, what are the the six catechism hymns? So in LSB, we have um, hymn number 581. These are the Holy Ten Commands, um, which is the Ten Commandments. We have hymn number 954, We All Believe in One True God, which is the creed. We have hymn 766, Our Father Who From Heaven Above, which is the Lord's Prayer. 406, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord, Baptism. Hymn 607 is from Depths of Woe I Cry to You, which is the hymn for confession. And finally, we have hymn 627, Jesus Christ Our Blessed Savior, which is the, the hymn for the sacrament of the altar. Perfect. So as I said, our, our listeners might be familiar with these hymns, but not realize that Luther wrote these specifically to keep those words of the catechism in the minds of the people all the time. So one of the most prominent indicators of Lutheran confidence in the hymns as vehicles for the word of God was the development and the use of a collection of hymns based on all six parts of the Lutheran catechism. So when it was first published in 1529, Luther's small catechism was intended to assist in teaching children, an uneducated Christian, the six chief parts of the Christian faith. One of Luther's goals then was to complete a hymn based on each article, four of which he published before the catechism itself was even published. So the, the catechism hymn was written first before he even wrote the small catechism, showing just how firmly Luther believed in the power of hymnody to teach Christians. Each of his hymns is unique in the way that it presents the article of faith. First published in 1524, Luther's two hymns on the Ten Commandments, these are the Holy Ten Commands, which we have in LSB, and Men, Wouldst Thou Live All Blissfully, show that Luther wanted not just the saving power of the Gospels to be expressed in verse, but also the condemnation of the law to instruct common people and firmly ground them in both Lutheran aspects of salvation, law and gospel. His hymn for confession, Aus Tiefer Not, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, is one of his first psalm paraphrases, this one based on Psalm 130. Originally written in 1523, Luther developed the old four-stanza hymn into a five-stanza hymn in 1524 that developed his doctrine of grace alone more fully. The hymn begins, From the troubled deep I cry to thee, Lord God, hear thou my crying. For if thou meanst to look upon the wrong and evil that is done, who, Lord, could stand before thee? Here, Luther is expressing his belief that in times of trouble, the only place to look is to God, 
because not even the Pope or his cardinals were free from the wrong and evil that is done, and therefore cannot save the sinner. In further stanzas, Luther writes that the best life cannot win the race. Good works are unavailing, and although our sin is great, God's grace is greater to relieve us. The shepherd good alone is he who will at last set Israel free from all and every trespass. Here Luther is again affirming that not even the best person can win salvation for himself by works or from buying indulgences, but salvation is instead given by grace alone through faith in Christ. Als Tiefer Not has become a common hymn for funerals, including Luther's own funeral in 1546, as its message of salvation by grace through faith is especially comforting for the Christian in death. Luther's hymn on the Lord's Prayer, Vater Unser, Our Father Who From Heaven Above, is also of note because it is the first catechism hymn written after the publication of the small catechism, and it is one of only two hymns for which an original draft in Luther's hand is known. Published in 1539, the hymn allots an entire stanza to each petition of the Lord's Prayer, opening with rendering of the phrase, followed by the catechetical instruction as found in the small catechism. In this way, Luther's hymn version matches even more closely with the teachings of the Catechism, and thus further instills the singer with sound Lutheran doctrine. Luther's Catechism hymns, as they have come to be called, show that Luther intended hymns to not only fill time during service, but also to instruct the singer in God's word, law, and gospel. So these hymns, and we would certainly commend these to our listeners, are just treasures that children should be taught, that everyone should be taught. These are hymns that, even as you were telling us about these hymns, the words and the melody was flowing through my brain. And so the, they just, they're, they're so rich. And in the same vein of the simplicity of the catechism, they bring us to and give us the words to speak. And they serve as a reminder of the gift that is the law and the gift that is the gospel in terms of living the Christian life. They're just fantastic. And I would definitely commend these to our listeners. It seems Luther took very seriously God's command in Deuteronomy 6 to teach the children, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We know the catechism was certainly meant to guide instruction in the home, but so also were hymns meant to be sung in the home. And you, you brought that forward for us earlier why, given all of this, why is it so important to teach hymns to children? One of the first things is that as, as teaching agents, hymns are easy to learn and they're quickly memorized through hearing by children who often can't read yet at that age. But if they're hearing these in church and they're hearing them at home, they're, they're able to memorize the texts of these hymns and be able to sing them whenever they want. It's, it's very similar to having children memorize portions of scripture as well, where they can't read them yet, but by having them recited over 
and over to them. They start to get this understanding of scripture before they can even read anything. And so that's one of the, the great benefits of teaching these great hymns to children is that they can learn the faith before they can even read the word of God. One of the things that we're constantly saying at Wittenberg Academy is that we give scholars that which endures by means of that which has endured that they may endure. And to do this is to give them something that is not just given an hour on Sunday or an hour on Sunday and an hour of catechesis. It's it's a life thing. And Luther certainly saw this and acknowledged this, that teaching the children, as we just heard from Deuteronomy 6, that teaching the children is not something that you have an on and an off. It's an always. Yes, and, and that's one of the reasons that Roman Catholic hymns didn't spread nearly as well as the Lutheran ones, because they had a very distinct difference of purpose, whereas the Lutheran hymns were written specifically for occasions outside of the church even, and then they were brought into the church, like the catechism hymns were a thing to do at home, but then they're brought into the church because of their content. The Catholic hymns are written more specifically for church use, for feasts and festivals, and that sort of thing. It's written specifically for you're sitting in a pew or standing in the church, whatever it was at the time, and singing it there. But you you don't take your hymns home. You don't have your hymnal at home. You have your hymnal at church. And that's the only time you, you sing hymns and, and that like. But So for the Lutherans, the, the hymns were more a part of their entire daily lives and it just happens to be something you also do at church because of the the content of the hymns whereas for the catholics the hymn is just something you do at church because that's what you do at church you don't bring your hymnal home with you necessarily whereas in the lutheran church your hymnal starts at home and you bring it to church with you many times families look at the change of the calendar year as an opportunity to ponder things anew and you have given our listeners much to ponder in terms of looking at hymnody as a great gift that we should give ourselves and our children for the benefit of their endurance in the church militant. And we would certainly encourage all of our listeners to consider adding singing through the catechism with Luther's catechism hymns to your list of goals for the new year. Mr. Tyler Simpson teaches Paideia B for Wittenberg Academy. Tyler, thank you for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.